How many of you remember that, that guy, Sam just reminded me of this actually, that used to wear like a rainbow wig and he would be at sporting events, he'd wear a tie-dye shirt and he'd always have the sign John 316. Does anybody remember that dude? He would be at all kinds of sporting events and more than likely he'd always end up on TV because he looked silly and then he always had John 316. And so this is the verse we're going to talk about today. John 3.16 is definitely one of probably the most popular Bible verse, most well-known even amongst non-Christians. So back in 2009, when uh, Tim Tebow was at the University of Florida, they were playing for the national championship, he used to have a different Bible verse, you know, on his eye black. And for that game, he put John 3.16 on his eye black. And obviously, he was a very videoed person. Like, the cameras always followed him during the game and stuff when he was on the sidelines. And after that game, John 3.16 was Googled 92 million times because of that. And what this is, as you can see from the title of my message, John 3.16 is known as the gospel in a nutshell. It really encapsulates everything, what it is to be a Christian. And so just some quick context, you heard Megan mention this in John chapter 3. Jesus is met by Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, at night. And so now I always have to do my obligatory dad joke, you get it, Nick at night. <laughs> Every time I have to say that. But Nick comes at night. And in a nutshell, Nicodemus is not getting anything that Jesus is laying down. Jesus is speaking way over his head. Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. And so what I'm going to do is what, a cool thing that we see in this John chapter 3 passage is our amazing triune God at work and we can that's why we, it's so important we confess our faith in the words of the creeds every week because this is what we believe as Christians we believe in a triune God three persons in one God and that's what we're going to see here in John chapter 3 is the triune God at work and I'm going to go backwards so I'm going to start out with John chapter 3 Verses 16 and 17. And here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so I've broken this down into three sections, obviously the three persons of the Trinity here. And I have some questions for each section. This first question is, why would God the Father love me so much? Have you ever wondered that? Well, the answer to this question is pretty simple. Because this is who God is. God is love. It's in his nature. He can't help but love. And that's the short answer to why he loves us so much. 
We can look at numerous Bible passages in the Bible that talks about this. And our theme verse for our Lenten services, if you haven't had a chance to join us yet, is from the prophet Joel in chapter 2. And it says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And you just heard that in Psalm 103 that I just read during the Confession Absolution. And another verse, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We could, I could spend all day reciting verses about how God is love. It's who he is. It's why he loves me. It's why he loves you so much. So it says, for God so loved the world. So let's talk about this word love for a second. So since I've been pastor here at Promise, I've had the opportunity to do 10 or so premarital counseling classes with 10 different couples here at Promise. That's a lot of weddings, by the way. And so we talk about love, obviously. And if you've been to any of the weddings that I have performed, You've heard me mention this, but I'm going to mention it again if you've already heard this because it's very important and it helps us understand something that maybe we miss about our amazing God and how much he, he loves us. So in the English language, we have one word for love, which is love, right, obviously. One word. So I can say, you know, I love my four daughters. I love Shigs and Pitt. I love the Packers. I love Zara, my wife. Do you see how the word love can lose its meaning in our culture and context? We just flippantly use the word love all the time because obviously I don't love Shigs and Pitt as much as my wife or daughters, at least on most days. But of course I kid, guys. But it kind of loses, the word love loses its meaning in our language. And so an important thing to understand is the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And the Greek language has multiple words for the word love. And I have two of them up on the screen for you. These are the two that are used in the New Testament. The first one there is phileo. And this is the kind of love that is warm affections or, you know, the friendship kind of love. It's where we get the name for the city Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love. The city that threw snowballs at Santa Claus at a football game. But anyway, it's the city of brotherly love. And this is a different, much, much different kind of love. And so what I tell the couples that are taking these classes with me, this is an important part of being married, but if you're basing your marriage on this kind of a love, it's not going to last. Another kind of love that isn't mentioned in the New Testament is eros, love, and this is where we get the word erotic, so you can see what kind of love this is. This is that sexual love. Again, it's important to marriage, but if you're basing it on that, it's not going to last. And so we get to this third word for love which is the love we are talking about today. And that's agape love. And this is the kind of love that is a commitment. 
It's a sacrificial love where you are willing to give up things for your spouse or for one another. And so this is agape love. So can you imagine for a second, for God so loved the world, just take John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, in our English language, it's lost the importance, the meaning. If this was the phileo kind of love, it would say, you know, for God had warm affections for the world. Doesn't quite sound as strong, does it? God wanted to be friends with the world. No, it's much deeper than that. And the word that is used in John 3.16 in the Greek is this word agape. That's how much he loves the world. That he's willing to sacrifice for it. And so God so agape loved the world. You know, the world that continually turned its back on him. You know, in rebellion, hostility, and anger, we at times shake our fists at God, thinking, you know, that we know better than what he does. How could we possibly know more than the one who created us? You know, how dumb is that when you think about that? But you know what? You and I are part of this world, part of this rebellious world that has sinned against God time and time and time again. You know, we tune out God when it's not convenient. We neglect to to read his word or to hear his word. We neglect his day sometimes. We are the world. Not the song from the 80s or 90s or whenever it was. You know, we are the world. This is not a good thing. But in spite of all this, God loved us. Agape loved us. Because what it boils down to is we do not deserve God's love. And yet he still loves us. So exactly how much does God love you? my next question well it says in John 3 16 God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son so let's talk about this son here for a second God loved us so much that he has had a plan from the beginning and I have a couple pictures here just to give you a little crimson thread action in the sermon today this first picture started out in Genesis 3 15 When Adam and Eve had sinned and God said this, he's talking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. You see, her seed was eventually going to be Jesus who was going to crush Satan's head. So that's the first promise we get. We move on. We fast forward in the Old Testament and part of God's plan of salvation We get to the Passover when the Israelites are in Egypt and they get to the 10th plague and God commands his people to sacrifice a lamb but it couldn't be any lamb 
It had to be a lamb without any blemish, without any spot. It couldn't be a lamb that limped a little bit. It had to be the best of the best. And you know what's something interesting about this lamb? They had to get this lamb on the 10th day of the month, and they wouldn't kill it until the 14th day of the month. So what do you think they did with this lamb? They had to keep it perfect and spotless. They probably had this lamb in the house with them. The kids were probably sleeping with it. They are getting attached to this beautiful, sweet little lamb. And then on the 14th, dad takes that lamb outside and kills it. This shows you how serious God takes sin and how big of a sacrifice it is to cover it. You see, they took the blood of this lamb and then painted it on their doorposts. And then angel death passed over them. We fast forward to the New Testament, of course. John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. No coincidence, because that lamb had a crown of thorns on his head. Because Jesus is the one that sacrificed himself, shed his blood to cover our sin. That's how much he agape loves us. And so we get to this third thing that is mentioned here in verse 14 and 15 of John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is doing some uh, crimson thread action here. I'm adding that. He's referencing a story in the Old Testament, an event that actually happened. It's one of those events in the Exodus journey that seems kind of, you know, why is this in here? What point does this event have? So the Israelites are sinning again in the wilderness. They're grumbling and whining and complaining. I know that's unique to the Israelites, right? And so God's tired of it and sends in deadly snakes. And these snakes start biting people. And people are dying. And then they come to God. And of course we know God is merciful and gracious. And so he has Moses make this pole with a bronze serpent on the top. Looks kind of like a cross. Do you see the foreshadowing we're getting here already? Way back in the wilderness in the book of Numbers. Because Jesus is referencing that because that's exactly what he's going to do. You see, those people that have been bitten by those snakes could look at this bronze serpent and they were healed. It's the exact same thing Jesus has done for us. That's how much he agape loves us. That he went through all the suffering and pain for us. You know, the Israelites deserved God's punishment and wrath. Just like you and I deserve it. But he has shown us mercy. And this is the heart and core of our salvation. This is the heart and core of what it means to be a Christian. This is what it's all about. This is why we're here. Because of how God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So that we can be saved and spend eternity with him. You see, Jesus would rather go through all of the torture and the pain and the blood and the beatings 
whipping, spitting. He would rather go through all of that than spend eternity without us. That's some strong love, isn't it? And that's the love he has for us. Because you see, the Father took out his wrath and his anger on sin on his son Jesus on that cross. He turned his back on his son who died on that cross because he loves us that much. Because it took God to take care of our sin problem. So now we get to the second part of this famous verse, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So my next question, but how do we come to faith in Jesus Christ, believe in him, and be saved? So we see how much the Father loves us. We've seen how much the Son loves us, that he became human and died for us. And now we get to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, which Jesus talks about to Nicodemus in verses 3 through 8, where it says this, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Just take a second and think of how stupid a question that is. Do you think about it? Because <laughs> these are the, always the weird things that jump out at Scott Hedge. <laughs> and Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us to faith. He's the one that gives us new birth and this new life as God's children. Through the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit also uses his word to reach people, to work in their hearts. Faith is a gift that we have been given. The Holy Spirit is a gift. None of these things we can do on our own. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you know, Nicodemus is like, how can this be? Jesus compares it to wind. We humans have no control over where the wind goes. We can't govern the wind. It's the same with the work of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit work faith in us? I don't know. But he does. Because he loves us that much. He works through these waters of holy baptism. He works through his word. He works through the Lord's Supper. Not only has he given us this faith that we have, he sustains it and strengthens our faith. And that's how much he loves us. And this is what the triune God is. This is who we worship. This triune God, that agape, loves us so much. The Father, who loves us so much that he sent his only son to take care of our problem. The Son, Jesus, who became a human, 
who loved us so much that he spread his arms wide on that cross to die for each and every one of our sins. And then the Holy Spirit who loves us and gives us new life. And because of this, we will be with God in heaven forever. Amen.